Hello, everybody. Welcome to the fifty-fifth, right, Dave? Number five. Yes, five. number five. Five. This is this is that this is that episode. Yes. I started this episode off like a pro, didn't I? Yeah. Uh, by the way, Dave's here. Hi, Dave. I am here. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, well, we're just excited to do another episode of the masterclass. So we welcome you. Thank you for listening. And uh, we've got, I think we've got some interesting uh, topics set for tonight. Sure. So uh, we actually have uh, an introductory topic that we're going to dive into. It's not really follow-up because we haven't really talked about it before, but we thought uh, Dave had an interesting conversation that, that he wanted to uh, bring up here. So lay it on us. Well, this is a, a discussion about um, inerrancy and infallibility. And this is in reference to the the nature of Scripture or the Bible that we read. And uh, I I think central to this discussion, whatever we may land on in terms of what we believe, or maybe we won't even arrive at anything tonight because that's part of the reason why we do what we do. We're discussing, challenging ourselves, challenging listeners, is just that there is a realization that um, infallible and inerrant are not the same thing. And so I hope at the very least, maybe we can kind of bring these terms uh, out there to our listeners and a realization that uh, they shouldn't be used interchangeably. Uh, They do mean different things. And that um, for me personally, um, I would have to say that I'm very much on the, um, the Bible is infallible. And I'm wrestling with is it inerrant? And that was actually a discussion that um, I had with somebody here recently that um, I would say is a um, somebody that grew up in the church, somebody that believes in God, but I don't necessarily think they totally um, embrace what it means to be a follower of Christ and that uh, there should be an outward expression of our faith and not just belief in Him. And they were kind of challenging me on... Do I, well, do I really take the Bible seriously? Do I really believe what it says? And do I believe that it's accurate? Um, interestingly enough, this was actually the topic that was discussed at uh, the church that I go to this past Sunday as well. And so um, I personally believe it's, um, well, and I, I would assume anybody that would listen to our show would think that this is something probably important to you know, come down, you know, take a look at is, is, is the Bible just a bunch of good stories? Is it, is it fiction? Is it, uh, uh, have a, um, historical background to it? So, um, all right. So you said that infallible and inerrant are different. Mm -hmm. How are they different? Okay. Because I think that will help me and the listeners, uh, process how we feel about it. Sure. And, um, this is actually from uh, blueletterbible.org. Blue uh, I guess I could get this to Cayman to make sure it's on the, the show notes. Oh, it'll be in the show notes. <laughs> and so um, the concept arose when the issue of divine inspiration of the Bible was being addressed. Questions such as, in what sense or to what degree is the Bible divinely inspired word of God? How does it differ from all other works? Uh, So the word infallible means trustworthy. Uh, When referring to Scripture, the term infallible is usually used to mean reliable and trustworthy. It refers to something that is without any type of uh, defect whatsoever. Those who trust 
its infallible teachings will never be led astray. And then inerrancy means there are no errors whatsoever. The term inerrancy is more recent. While some Christians used inerrancy and infallible interchangeably, they are used in slightly different ways. Inerrancy contends that the Bible does not have any errors or fact or any statements that contradict. Infallibility deals more with one's personal knowledge of the Lord, while inerrancy is more concerned with the details of Scripture. Infallibility is the broader term. For example, somebody who believes in inerrancy will also believe in infallibility. The reverse is not necessarily true. So um, there are people who argue that the Bible can contain errors or fact while still accomplishing its purpose, and that is to bring humanity into relationship with God. They don't see any problem trusting the Bible as the final standard of authority on all matters of faith and practice, though it may contain some errors. However, others think the idea of an infallible but inerrant Bible is something that is nonsensical. So, I'm going to jump down here real quick, and then I'll just read one more paragraph. Uh, The inerrancy of Scripture was never made a test of Christian orthodoxy in the past because no one seemed to doubt it. Those who stress the doctrine of inerrancy stress the divine side of Scripture while also admitting the human side. Those who did not necessarily embrace inerrancy stress the human side of Scripture. So that's where we're at. Well, here's my thinking. Mm -hmm. If God is perfect... Mm -hmm and the Bible is God's Word, then the Bible should be perfect too. Right. So I, I suppose I fall in the inerrancy camp based on that logic. Now, um, as we were talking about this uh, before we started recording, you know, obviously the Bible has been um, transmitted, transposed, translated, you know, millions of times since the, you know, original autographs were written. Um, and so I can see where the difference between infallibility and inerrancy might uh, allow for that human element. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, one of the definitions that that, that article said about infallibility is that it's, 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 it's uh, trustworthy, it's reliable. They said without defect. How can something have an error and be without defect is that that's my only response to that you right. know so um i think i fall in the inerrancy camp um i i do have a, a real quick um story about this though uh one of my favorite professors in college um actually i think he was probably the best professor i had while i was there um, he was, I was his graduate assistant when I was in grad school. Um, just a really solid dude. Um, crazy smart, but also a very engaging teacher. So he had, uh, applied for tenure at my university. And part of that process is, uh, you have to sign this document that has a bunch of statements about faith and Christianity and all that stuff. Cause it was a Christian university. And one of the things said that, you know, I believe that the original autographs of the Bible are inerrant. And because he was a philosophy professor, he took 
um, not a fence, but he because of that statement, he wouldn't sign it. Mm-hmm. And his logic was, we don't have the original autographs. No one alive has ever seen them. Therefore, I cannot sign something stating something which cannot be proven in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. In theory, sure, yeah, I believe it. But you're asking me to sign a document that says something that no one can verify. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he didn't sign it, and he was asked to leave university. Wow. Which was terrible because best professor in that whole department. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's apparently it can be pretty contentious. Right. And, you know, the school that I went to is not a place I w- thought would have done that. And then when I found out, I was I was pretty pissed. Like I said, I was his grad assistant, so. <laughs> that would, yeah. You know, I hung out with him a lot. Exactly. Um, and that's where, you know, I think one of the things, and maybe off on this a little bit, but like the verse, is it in Mark 16 that talks about whoever believes is baptized, um, They will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. And isn't there like a little asterisk? And I'm looking at my uh, Bible um, in the app here versus having my hard copy of the Bible with me, which is what I should have. But that like um, where it says this was not included in the original. I know a couple of the Gospels have those sorts of things that say, these were not included in some yeah, of the some earlier of the man- earlier manuscripts do not include 16 verses 9 through 20. Is that what it is? Okay. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that cuz I thought that's what it was and then it doesn't doesn't have that in my Yeah. App we that I'm we even right talked here. about that in college too. It was like would you preach on those verses? And the classroom was kind of split like it's in the Bible, yeah, or, well, it wasn't in the early manuscripts, so mm-hmm. probably. And so it, we kind of referred to it as, like, uh, the Apocrypha or um, the early father's writings. Like, they're not canon, but they're also not unuseful. Like, they're great resources right. that you can use to help inform yes. your teaching of the Bible. But I don't preach on, you know, uh, Tim Keller's latest book. Right. I may use Tim Keller's latest book to help me understand scripture better, but I'm preaching on the scripture mm-hmm. and using that as a resource. So, yeah, I don't know. That's that sort of stuff is always interesting too because how can I say that the Bible is inerrant when there's portions of scripture like that that we're not sure if they were in the originals or not. Mm-hmm. And so that throws, you know, a wrench into my logic. Yeah, and and then you know the other thing is is, and granted, um, you mentioned the apocrypha. I didn't grow up reading the apocrypha. It hasn't it hasn't been a huge part of my Christian walk and my devotions to God, but I have read it, and I, this is purely a gut feeling. This is nothing. Um, based on any kind of substance or fact other than 
uh, how I respond to it. When, I, when I've read the things in the Apocrypha, they don't seem to be written the same way that other scripture is written. Now, I get that there's 40-some different authors of the Bible, um, written over 1,500 years, but it just has a different feel to me of like, this, this just doesn't seem like scripture to me. I don't know. Um, whenever I'm in uh, a spiritual desert, as they say, I'd like to reach for Bell and the Dragon. It just warms me up. In the, the raisin cakes. I don't even actually remember what that story is about. I just, <laughs> wow, way to call me out on that one, Dave. All right. I, 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 Bible I, jokes I, smashed. I, I have this feeling that, uh, I, I have this recollection that there was something about feeding raisin cakes or something. And, to the ha- dragon? Yeah, and like putting hair in the raisin cakes or something oh. like that. So. Why? No, that's just mean. Yes. Well, um, what do you what do you have to say about my my opinion on inerrancy, Dave? Because we don't know where you stand yet, do we? Have you shared that? I don't know if I know where I stand. Ooh. On, on how very in, inclusive of you inerrancy. Well, and honestly, it, it it makes me uncomfortable to say that because I feel like kind of kind of what. I mean, just the fact that it, the fact that I'm a Christian, the fact that I do a, a podcast about things that Jesus said, um, I'm 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 supposed to have this like strong uh, opinion about inerrancy and infallibility, and particularly when it comes to inerrancy, that the Bible is not errant, that it is a hundred percent true and a hundred percent accurate, and I guess in my um, my innermost being, I, I feel like there's kind of this, well, it has to be inerrant because it's from God. And um, I just wonder if that's an expectation that God doesn't put on Scripture, but that us as human beings put on Scripture. And um, it, it is truly um, about a relationship with Him. And that's where the infallibility comes in of if we're seeking him and if we're seeking his word, we're not going to be led astray. Uh, But if there are things in the Bible that maybe aren't 100%, um, then I'm sort of okay with that. So I don't know. Am I talking in circles? (laughs) No, but I mean, I guess I just come back to to my initial thoughts and saying like if if God is perfect then God's word should be perfect because God spoke it right mm-hmm. God God can't be perfect and speak unperfect things that, that doesn't you know yes. because what does it say uh, in scripture um, something along the lines of you know whatever the words come out of your mouth is is what is your heart that's not at all how it sounds in scripture, but that's the point, right? Um, oh my gosh. I can't remember how it says it. From the, it's like in, uh, no, James talks about the, the tongue being, you know, flame and all that sort of stuff. But, 
from the heart, the mouth speaks. Something. I don't know. I'll find it and put it in the show notes. Now, we did last week have the whole uh, what comes out of the mouth is what makes us unclean versus what goes in us. Yeah, God, that was last week. That's not what I was thinking of. That was not what I was thinking of. But okay, no, and that's... From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, that seems, or the mouth, I don't know. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person, is yeah. what I'm thinking of. And I'm not saying yeah. that's necessarily what you're... No, no, that's that's good. That you know that makes my point. So my, my point is, <laughs> if, if, if God is speaking, and these are his words, and they are coming from his heart... That they can't come from a perfect heart and be imperfect, right? right? But as we've said, and probably repeated too many times now, we should probably move on. But you throw in that human element, and we screw a lot of stuff up. So I just, it, I don't know, right? And and I think that's maybe where a little bit um, where I I land is definitely the fact that there are human beings involved in this, and so. That's where the errancy comes from, is is the human side and not so much from God. And, you know, it, it's very easy for me to read something like The Message that Eugene Peterson, uh, tra- his translation, or is that a fair, is it, call, is it called an in, a translation? What's yeah, it? I believe it is called a... Interpretation? No, what's the word? It's not a translation. It is a paraphrase. A paraphrase. You know, so I I read something like Eugene Peterson puts out there, Mm -hmm. and it's a scripture that I'm fairly familiar with, and I hear his context or his words he puts to it, and it makes me cringe because I'm like, ooh, that's not at all (laughs) what I get from that, or that's not how I would have chosen to phrase that. Um, And then you go back to uh, the different translations of the Bible, and there are differences between one translation or another. And so I'm sort of like, okay, well, if there's differences between these translations, one is probably more correct than the other. And from that context, it's sort of a, again, what God said is perfect, but our interpretation is finite human beings trying to understand infinite God probably is not perfect. And that's, I guess, how I sort of land on that. All right. <laughs> Thought we were going to solve it, Dave. We're going to nope. do the problem of evil next week. Just, just conquer it. Domino right. after domino. Just knocking them down. Absolutely. Well, we didn't even finish this one. So, But hey, listeners, dear, dear, lovely, beautiful, handsome listeners, if you have thoughts and opinions on infallibility and inerrancy of Scripture, please let us know. Because guess what? You can probably teach us a thing or a hundred. Yep. And we want to learn. And frankly, we want to, you know, we want to chat. We want to we wanna see what you think. So Twitter is a really quick, easy, super fun way to do that. Dave is at 10.8HBO. And I'm at Cam Brennan. And you can get the show if you want to make sure that we both see it. Uh, at Masterclass FM as well. Awesome. Yes, which I realize that we've not tweeted anything from in 26 days, Dave. Oh, no. Wow, we are poor Twitter citizens. <laughs> but also, if you wanted to email because you just you don't like Twitter or you just, you know, you're old school like that and you just want to make sure that, uh, well, we get a, another thing in our very Spartan inbox, you can email us at 
hello at supermegacorp.net. And then make sure you put masterclass in the subject line so I know to forward it on to Dave so that he can see it too. And I think that's our intermission. Shall we continue on to the main event? Sure. You like that WrestleMania reference I just did there? Main event. <laughs> the main event. Yes. Everyone just stopped listening because I mentioned WrestleMania. Oh, no. So I guess that means no pressure the rest of the show. All right. What are we talking Easy. about? Well, should we? would you like me to read Matthew 15, 21 through 29? Uh, I would, because that is the, uh, the, that verse is, that is the correct verse. Yes, good job. <laughs> I knew I had you here for a reason. All right. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right for the, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. So, yeah, we've had easier verses than this, haven't we? <laughs> yes. He uh, he kind of seems like a jerk here. He does seem like a jerk here, which um, is unusual. He, he's been stern before, but he's, he's never uh, called a woman a dog before. No. So, yeah, we got that one to figure out. Hey, uh, don't you have a great resource for this verse that you want to share with our <laughs> fine listeners? Uh, yes. Um, I have been a fairly, I think both of us actually, have, we've been critics of uh, Joel Osteen on this show. And I suppose that's fair to say. <laughs> I, I've had people ask me uh, if that was fair. And uh, another thing that we've shared with you is Dave, me personally, I am a Frank, uh, Frank, I am a <laughs> fan of Hank Hanegraaff. And uh, he is known as the Bible Answer Man, and he's on Christian radio throughout the country. And um, he, I can't remember if he's president or exactly what his title is, uh, but has an organization called the Christian Research, boy, I can't talk, Christian Research Institute, C-R-I. Their uh, webpage is equip.org, and Hank does a good job of um, taking a look at Scripture and what does Scripture say, and then um, applying it to a lot of things. Uh, Hank is very much uh, engaged uh, with the culture. Um, things like, uh, you know, if you've got friends that are Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or anything that, that is outside the normal, normal, outside mainstream <laughs> Christianity. Um, Email Dave, yeah. please. <laughs> But he does a good job of explaining, um, you know, how you can share your faith with those folks. Uh, you know, some of the things that have been popular here lately are um, heaven is for real, and he ad- he addresses uh, some of the things that are related uh, to that movie and that book. Um, and really, 
I does he talk about the shack at all? Does he talk about the shack? I don't think so, but oh, I don't know. That's a shame. <laughs> but he's I, one. He's incredibly patient. If you've ever listened to his 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 um, radio show, he's incredibly patient with questions that people have. He is incredibly gracious and he is incredibly loving because I think he just has a true do- desire um, for people to know Jesus, to know the truth, and um. So he has a book called The Osteenification. So that's Joel's last name, Ification. The Osteenification. <laughs> the Osteenification of American Christianity. And he just And what's goes, what's the picture on the front of the cover? I just saw this. It's, uh, great. it's a cross made out of coins. Yikes. So yeah, there's there's an implication here of well, the health and wealth that we have Well that and, and the cheapening of the no. Ooh, a real yes. Very good. Uh and this is this is actually um I give financially uh to the Christian Research Institute. And so I got this book for free, which I'm always like, it's one of those things where I'm always like, I'm giving because I want to give, not because you're going to send me something. Yeah. And so I always feel bad when they send me things. This book is, uh, I guess it's normally $11.99. And then, like I said, it's at equip.org. Um, and I just read it and it is a, it's a very short read. That's more probably like a, a page, a paper or like a, a journal um, entry type thing. Um an article? An article, thank you. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Uh, quick read. And he just makes some good points about things that Mr. Osteen says uh, that really don't have, um, well... Truth? That, that don't have truth. And <laughs> this, particular, this, this particular chapter... Is called script torture. <laughs> so instead of scripture, it's script torture. <laughs> Cam is sitting across to me, shaking his head. God, you can do better than that, Hank. So, well, I'm not sure that he puts the books together, but anyway. So, did you want me to read this now that I've been well, rambling be- on now? Because this is not just Cam and Dave bullying. Joel Osteen, this, what Dave is about to read is in reference to the scripture that we just read. Yep. So the scripture that we just read very clearly states, um, well, you can, you can read it for yourself, Matthew 15, 21 through 29. Yeah, have that, have that on your phone or open your Bible as you listen to Mr. Osteen's um, exegesis of this passage. Yes, and this is from September 6, 2013, and the title is Beyond a Begging. In the scripture, there was a lady who came to Jesus and started begging him to heal her daughter. What's interesting is that Jesus practically ignored this lady who was begging. He didn't give her the time of day. After a while, she realized begging wasn't going to do her any good. The scripture says she fell at Jesus' feet and started worshiping him. Wrong. Started thanking him. Wrong. Started giving him praise. Wrong. Uh, My English Standard Version that uh, we just read from. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. So Joel continues. All of a sudden, Jesus stopped what he was doing, looked at the woman and said, your daughter is perfectly well. You can go home. Everything is okay. And there was also actually not true. also not true. There was 
her understanding of, I believe, the Jews being the chosen people and the implication that the Messiah had come to um, save more than just the Jewish people. Um, something that was probably, this is Dave Hogue's interpretation here, something that was revealed to her by the Holy Spirit and not just her own um, understanding of Scripture. So, uh, Joel continues, Today, know that what begging won't do, praise will do. Don't be a beggar, instead be a believer. When you pray, switch over into praise, which is what opens the door for God to act. Don't get stuck year after year begging. God, please heal me. God, please give me that promotion. God, I'm just begging you. No, instead, all through the day, say, Father, thank you that I'm healthy. Thank you that you, thank you that my business is blessed. Thank you that promotion is coming. So, yeah. Um, Prosperity gospel. <clears throat> it's all bull crap. I'm, I'm whispering because all I want to do is yell right now. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to be an adult about this, Dave, and it's very hard. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I just don't, I don't understand. I don't understand. How can you read this passage and ignore everything that it says? Mm-hmm. I mean, his whole thing is that she stopped begging and started praising. All she did was get in front of him and sit down and say, help me, which in no way is praise and in every way is asking someone to do something for you, which is what he says you're not supposed to do. You should name it and claim it. Because if I just say, thank you for that promotion that's coming, well, maybe eventually I'm going to get promoted, but it's not because I thanked God for it in advance. And he's like, oh, now I can bless you because you've thanked me for something I haven't done yet. Yeah. That's not how it works. No. No. And there, if you, if you don't if, get it, if you, if you read through this book and if you listen to what um, Joel Osteen um, preaches, um, basically the implication is, is that if I think positive thoughts, positive things will happen to me. If I think negative thoughts, then negative things will happen to me. That's childish. That is childish and it is not biblical. And it is, um, it's totally self-centered is what it is. It's self-centered and it's basically implying that, that God will do for me as I think he should do for me. Right. Which is, I'm, don't cuss. Don't. I mean, I can bleep it out, but I don't want to have to put an E, uh, you know, an explicit logo on a Bible podcast. But it, it is so incredibly misinformed. Yes. I mean, this goes down as one of the most difficult things Jesus has ever said, right? He calls this woman a dog and refuses. I mean, Joel's right about one thing. He straight up refuses to acknowledge this woman. He does. Yep. Joel's completely correct about that. But by stripping away the last four verses, you completely miss out on what is going on here. Mm -hmm. He replaces a very powerful segment of Scripture with a piece of fluff that just tries to make you feel good and in the end is going to screw you over because it's not true. Right. So... Before we continue pounding on this, because I will, I'll go all night. We should move on to what the Bible actually says and discuss that, because that's going to be much more helpful, and it will calm me down. Well, and, and here's even the thing. Let's say you read this, 
and okay, you seem like, okay, Jesus is acting like a jerk. I don't get why Jesus is responding to this woman. Uh, I don't have a deep uh, theological background. I haven't been to seminary. I haven't studied these things. There is this element of humbling ourselves and coming before God and saying, God, I don't understand this, and literally meditating on the Scripture and spending time in this. Uh, One of the things I do believe is there's nothing wrong with uh, being uh, creative when you're meditating on Scripture, Um, putting yourself present there, uh, being an eyewitness to this, Jesus and this interaction with this woman. Um, and again, this is going to kind of sound new agey and hokey, but it's, it's, it's one of the things that is effective in meditating on scripture is, is allowing yourself to be present in this moment and, and watching it unfold and um, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you through this. And that's not what Ulstein has done here. He has basically said, um, I'm going to make this fit my prosperity gospel and I'm going to change what (laughs) happens here. And, you know, lead people astray. (laughs) All right. We really should move on because I'm just going to. Sounds good. Get angry. Uh, not get angry. I'm going to express my anger more. So uh, let's let's get back to the passage. All right. So she says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. She knows this guy. She's a Canaanite woman, but she knows enough about him to know that who he is and, and where he comes from, right? Mm-hmm. So that's off the bat. It's impressive. Uh, my daughter's severely oppressed by a demon. So clearly she knows who he is, and she is uh, spiritually aware to know that her daughter's not just sick, that there's there's some crazy stuff going on here, right? Yep. Uh, but Jesus didn't answer her. And his disciples, this is even better. Like, okay, Jesus ignores her. Maybe he's up to something. Maybe, you know, he knows what's going to happen. Well, of course he knows what's going to happen. But, like, I always give Jesus the benefit of the doubt, right? Because he's Jesus. Then it says, and his disciples came and begged him, which they shouldn't have done. They should have praised him, uh, <laughs> saying... Thank you for sending that lady away. For she, no, that's not what they said. They said, please send her away for she's crying out. And like, shut her up. Get her out of here. Which that to me, I do not give the disciples the benefit of the doubt. Uh, sure. I, I think that's fair. Because I think that's fair. they're like me. And right. we say and do stupid things. It's just, you know, a part of it. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, what, what, was this woman just like so persistent that it got the best of them. And they're like, just get her out of here. She's making a scene. We don't want, you know, we don't want a scene in this area. Like, I don't know what that was about, but I find it, uh, it's like a very human part of the story where all of these guys who have seen Jesus do everything and seen how he cares for people. Just like, do, do just do something just just get her I, I we can't handle this even though and i kind of wonder like are they thinking you know putting myself in in their shoes like why does he not hear this how is he ignoring her do we uh, are you going to say something and okay i'm going to say something because 
this lady has to stop. Mm-hmm. And he's just, you know, so I kind of wonder if it's like when he's asleep on the boat and the sea's freaking out, he's just letting it happen to see how they react or I don't know. I'm, I'm obviously speculating here, but there's, there's, I think there's a lot of reasons why he would ignore her that aren't jerkish. There are certainly jerkish ones, but again, I'm going to give Jesus the benefit of the doubt and assume he wasn't being a jerk for the sake of being a jerk. Right. Um, I, I think there's an element of this woman has come to Jesus because she, she realizes who he is. And again, I think Jesus realized that she's there because of this, that, you know, there's just this genuineness back to what we were talking about um, earlier with the infallibility of scripture. If we are seeking God and we're asking him to reveal himself to us, he is going to show up and he's going to reveal himself to us. And so uh, this Canaanite woman, which um, Canaanites were not, um, they were, if you go back to the um, Old Testament, uh, Canaanites were um, enemies of the Jewish nation, D- Jewish nation, and so uh, they had conflict with them. Um, I believe it's there's Balaam, Balaam in in the book of Numbers. So, um, uh, there is this. Um, just genuineness of her coming to Jesus and him sort of giving her that answer of, I came to the Jewish people, I came for the nation of Israel, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. And she doesn't accept that answer. Well, in a sense, she does accept that answer in terms of, okay, well, the dogs get, even the dogs get the scraps from the table. Mm-hmm. I may be a dog, but there's at least got to be a scrap for me and for my daughter. And again, I, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That was something that that uh, the Holy Spirit de- decided to to reveal to her, and um, we're you know again Jesus came and he he kind of uh, did things differently than what everybody expected, and so um, while he may not have been quite ready to um, reach out to the Gentiles. Uh, there's certainly this kind of snapshot, this picture into, well, that is that is coming. This is going to be a part of what Jesus is doing. Is uh, He is reaching out beyond uh, the nation of Israel, and um, salvation will be available to them. Yeah. And so while you were while you were saying that, I I might want to rephrase my thoughts on the disciples here because. Oh really? They, yeah. Well, I I still think they were probably super annoyed with her. Send her away for she is crying, and then Jesus responds to them, "I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel." So I wonder if they're saying like, "Just heal her and get her out of here, so we can continue on." And he's like, "I'm not going to heal her because." So maybe maybe they were not as <laughs> jerkish as I initially thought because he was hit. I initially thought his "I was sent only to the lost sheep of house of Israel" was a response to the woman or directed at the woman, but. Yes. He answered them saying, send her away. I'm not going to heal her because she's not, you know? So I wonder if they're like, just get this, move her to the front of the line, get this done, and let's continue on in peace because, you know, so cl- clearly they were they were impatient or um, annoyed, but perhaps they were not saying, just 
can you just kick her out maybe please um so anyways yes so she says lord help me um and then just that the incredible response of yes lord even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table and i th- i think you summed it up great like i know that you came for the jews but is there nothing that you can do for me mm-hmm. i'm here i i sought you out i'm present i'm willing i'm willing to you know make this scene mm-hmm. to do something for my daughter I know what you can do. I know who you are. I know what you said. And I'm willing to put myself in that humble position of admitting, you know, I may not, you know, be one of God's chosen, but surely there's more than enough. Um, And I just think that's an incredibly powerful uh, image and reminder of, you know, we only have access to God's grace because he chooses to give it to us. We haven't earned anything. Yes. And uh, the humility it takes to get on your knees in public and beg somebody for something, I think there's there's a very God-honoring aspect to that. Mm-hmm. And so when Joel Osteen says that we're not supposed to beg God, we're just supposed to name it and claim it, <laughs> there's zero humility involved in that. There's zero acknowledging God's place as the supreme being in the whole universe and our position as his creation, right? something that he chose to do. And when you cheapen God's word to become just a feel-good, self-help book, (laughs) you miss out on what the gospel is really about. Yes. The gospel is not to make you feel good and to make your life cushier, right? No, the gospel is to call your attention to your depravity, your need for salvation, Mm -hmm. and then to drive you in repentance towards God, away from all the other crap, mm-hmm. and to live a life that God calls you to live, which is full of humility and sacrifice and service towards others. It, it is not about us. Absolutely. And, and so that's why I get so upset <laughs> with this sort of stuff, because you are feeding people a bunch of bull crap, and you're sugarcoating it with, you know, uh, it, it, I'm trying not to make a crass analogy here. You're you're painting it in Christian words, but the message is total BS. Mm-hmm. It 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 does not match up with what Scripture says. And I think that because he stripped that last part of this passage out, the people that that listen to him uh, are gonna miss out on this the major aspect that humility plays in our relationship with God. Yeah. I mean a huge part. Yep. Yeah, and kind of go back to a, a different um uh topic or shift gears here a little bit. You know, as we were talking about inerrancy 
and infallibility. I wholeheartedly believe that this is a historical event that transpired. I believe that Jesus had an interaction with the Canaanite woman um, in the district of Tyre, and you know the interaction went. No, is this word for word what he said? Well, no, Jesus didn't speak English, so there's you know <laughs> there are the, those things. But I believe this happened, and I believe that this is the essence of well, more than just that. I, I you know. I believe that to the best of our ability, this has been presented to us. And if we're seeking this in the truth, then we are going to find that in the scriptures that we have today written in English uh, to us. And um, Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as as you desire. And her daughter was healed um, instantly. And you know, any time that Jesus had had done that in Scripture, um, there is a a healing. Um, kind of making a generalization here with the forgiveness of sin, and uh, I, you know, I believe this woman ar- arrived at this point with him, um, saying. I, you know, I need the Messiah. I need you. I need you. This was not just about uh, getting her daughter healed. A big part of this is about her daughter getting healed. But there's acknowledgement of Jesus as the Messiah. There's this acknowledgement um, of him and the power that he has in him uh, that, again, I think comes from um, her spending time in the Holy Spirit revealing this to her. So... um, and it's not just a neat story that's told in the Bible. It is an actual historical occurrence that happened. Agreed. All right. Oh, and then, by the way, her daughter was healed instantly. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so you got that going for her. Yeah. Happy endings. But he says, great is your faith. To think that I know that I'm not one of, you know, God's chosen people and but I believe that you are great enough to to do this. I mean, that's it's a great example, something um, to be considered for sure. Uh, well, unless you've got anything else, I think that, uh, that brings us to a another abrupt end to, <laughs> uh, to this episode of the Masterclass. Thanks for listening, guys and ladies. And if you want to get... Um, show notes you can go to supermegacorp.net slash masterclass slash 55 or if you're listening on your mobile phone chances are you can just scroll the uh, podcast app that you're using and they should be right there below the artwork as well so thanks for listening yeah we're still really awkward at ending shows dave we are that's all right yeah (laughs) Uh, anyways bye everybody bye